Today on the podcast, we have Anushka Tucker-Evan. She is a food journalist for the Courier Mail and on the side does a bit of work for Delicious Magazine. I'm sure you've heard of that wonderful magazine. Uh, she has a really interesting story of how she got into this and she also gives us heaps of tips on you know, what food critics are looking for when they come in and uh, check out your restaurant and the do's and don'ts. Much more to her. She's an amazing person. You're going to really enjoy this one. It is brought to you today once again by Chef Notepad, a fantastic tool that you'll be able to use to get all your food costing right and store your menus and store your recipes, be able to share them and all sorts of things. Check that out as well. Uh, so enjoy this one you're gonna like it i'm sure cheers <laughs> we good amazing. anushka yes anushka anushka yeah, tucker evans <laughs> <laughs> nailed it i can't believe that so many people get that wrong it's so obvious to I me know. <laughs> <laughs> once you're told it and you can actually look at it and you're like yeah phonetically that does work yeah so. yeah so you are the uh food writer for the courier mail and you're also a delicious magazine restaurant critic is that right um so i normally help out with the delicious 100 with them that they do every okay. year nice. so yes so we're not allowed to put a photo of you up, hey? No, of course not. No, no, no. Unless it's with me with my moustache and my trench coat and my hat, you know. Let's do that. Yeah. that. So that's what you have to wear when you go out to restaurants, yeah? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, nice. You know, the, the old disguise out of the party bag for sure. Yeah. Tell me about how you got into this. Tell me about your background. Like, how did you find a passion for food and get into this writing about it? So I've loved food since I was a little kid. I was actually the kid who grew up eating um, pate on toast for breakfast and brie on toast for breakfast. I was very, very spoiled. Um, so That's awesome. Yeah, I've loved it since I was a little kid and, you know, got in the kitchen, helped mum. My mum's a really good cook. So, you know, since um, I was as you know, young as I can remember, we, I, her, her signature dish is, um, she makes really good spring rolls is renowned everywhere for them. So I'd be sitting there peeling the wrappers, helping her make them. That was sort of the first thing I learned to cook. And from there, it's just evolved over the years. And I've just loved it, you know, more and more with every year. Wow. So this name, Anuska, where does it, where does that come from? Like? It's Russian. Um, Anushka, I'm, Anushka, I'm not. Anushka. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's actually from um, a movie called Doctor Shivago, which I don't know if you've heard of, but yeah. uh, there was a actress in there, and her name was Anushka, and my parents decided to Australianize it yeah. and made it Anuska, so, so it just confuses everybody. So just like Nusa, everybody, just yeah. trying to remember it like that. Um, okay, so you were cooking and then, like, were you going to be something else or were you going to be the chef? I was or? always going to be the journalist. Yeah, okay. Um, always going to be the journalist since I was, I think, probably uh, like 11, 10 or 11, I wanted to be a journalist. I have no idea why. Um, just loved it. And then, but to combine the two passions of food and writing was always what I wanted to do. It was it was the dream job and I got that dream job at 24 and it was just absolutely amazing. Wow, it's just easy peasy. I just peaked way too early basically in life <laughs> and then it's been downhill ever since. So, <laughs> so you, you, you love your job. Do you like... Do you get, uh, obviously you go into lots of restaurants and we'll talk about that, but um, do you get to go to many of the farms and some of the, the you know, like the winning farms of the Delicious Produce Awards and things like that? Do you get to, do you get out to the, out to the land to get inspiration? I, um, I haven't done as much of that, like, as I would like to. Um, when I do go out there, it's absolutely fabulous. I absolutely love it. Like, um, going out to, 
you know, Toowoomba or out to the scenic rim and going out to those type of farms are amazing. And, you know, you see the little producers that are that are just specialising in something boutique or artisan and the passion and the drive and the commitment that goes into it is so amazing. So I really love doing that. It's um, it's just something that is obviously quite time consuming because Queensland's so far apart, you know, mm. so spread out. So it takes a few days out of your schedule to do that and normally I am chained to my desk at work unfortunately a lot of the time but it's definitely something that i want to try and do more of once the world opens up a little bit more well you'll have to get up and see peter up at uh, fruit forest farm. fruit forest farms Honestly. i follow them all on instagram this is the way i see farms is yes. i'm always following all their instagrams and obsessed so he is actually as everyone knows because i say it regularly um a, a wonderful wonderful human being his <laughs> wife his, the whole family there they are like they're all got his back and um he, he has so much passion and, um, yeah, extends through everyone there and just almost comes through in the fruit. And then his knowledge to help other people is, is amazing. But So, yeah, definitely get up there. And I think um, for me it's really important, and I think you might be able to see the difference when you, when you go to restaurants, is that if they haven't, if a chef or someone hasn't had a lot of that, I feel like their food can't sort of be, in my opinion, as good because mm. it's like the... the you know, trying to harden different weird ways and stuff, and it's not not keeping it simple and keeping it, yeah. you know, from where the farmer. It's like we're not communicating. We've missed a, a communication, and I guess that's what we're trying to do is make sure that we can funnel that communication through Instagram and articles and whatever it might be to get that passion. You know, like absolutely um, because that's what you do. Absolutely, and that's when you you see a genuine respect for the product is when you can see that chef making the connection. Like recently I was up at Esme, um, the pop-up that Alana Sapwell is doing, and she's obviously using um, Danielle's um, Honeysuckle Farm to get a lot of her produce. And, you know, when you go through and you see, like, the little greenhouse and you can pick all the little herbs or the little flowers and she's growing a few types of strawberries in there, it's amazing. And then, you know, you walk over to the chook pen and you get to, like, see the chickens and things like that. And so you just want to, you know, you get so much more inspired, I think, for these chefs by by being able to touch and feel the produce and seeing it in its natural surroundings. I think she also did a great job of that at Ark and at that garden at the end of the at the end of HSW there or Howard's with Wolves. Um, and um, I think um, Joe Barrett and Matt Stone, again, because they're in touch with the land, their big garden that they have at Oak Ridge, I really feel keeps them in touch. Where were we going with that? I've forgotten. (laughs) (laughs) So what we were getting at is that people who are more in touch with the land can often portray into the plate. And I guess that you see that when you're out looking at places and, you know, being at restaurants and feeling that come through. So um, is that definitely true? Absolutely. I think so. And also, like, that's what um, we try and do with the Delicious Produce Awards every year. I mean, I'm only involved in the outskirts of that. But um, my job is then to obviously tell the stories of a lot of those producers, whether it be amazing fishermen or, you know, producers of edible flowers or, you know, amazing um, cheese or milk growers, um, producers, you know. So it's it's really exciting to be able to tell the stories of those people who have just committed their whole life to doing something really special. It is so important that it does come through on the plates and I think that you having touch with both sides of it can really give you a great understanding and actually put you in a best position to be doing the job that you're doing for Delicious 
because you you know get the best of both worlds, you can come from the farm to the thing. So it must be really exciting. Uh, I have a quick story. I walked in to deliver fruit forest farm stuff uh, for the Delicious Produce Awards to Jake and Louie and uh, everyone who was judging, uh, Adam from Gerard's. Uh, and um, Pat, is it the guy from up uh, Oh, Spence Patrick. Pat Spence Patrick, yes. Um, oh. So I walked in and they just said, mate, um, sit down. So I got to experience oh, a lot of these foods. it's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so really, really lucky. But, okay, let's go back. Now, what do you think, uh, what's changed uh, from now in this funny world that we're in to say, you know, for 10 years ago for Brisbane, like I know that's probably a lot has changed, but I'm going to ask you 10 years, five years and, and now. But what do you think's the, what's, what was, what's the big difference between now and, say, five years ago? I think five years ago we were probably starting to turn that corner of Brisbane realising that they don't have to be Sydney and Melbourne. We mm. don't have to compete anymore. You know, they, they were going, you know what, let's start to find our own identity and let's carve that out. And I think that was that real turning point. Um, I've, I think, honestly, a lot of it was sort of led by the bar scene. Like, we've always had fantastic bars up here. And they sort of realised that we didn't need to compete with Sydney and Melbourne. We didn't need to be copycats of them. We we had our own identity up here. And I think, you know, restaurants sort of followed suit with that and realised that they could just, you know, we're not stuffy, we're relaxed, we're casual. Let's bring that to the table. Let's make our guests feel warm and welcome. Let's not have the white tablecloths necessarily everywhere, but we still want really good quality service. We just want it in a more relaxed, laid back sort of fashion. And I think there was that real turning point where where chefs started to realise that you have to do so much less to food if you actually start with a really quality product. Tell me about some of your, uh, don't have to name the restaurants, but some of your uncomfortable food critic nights where you're there to judge and just you can just see it's going wrong. Tell, have you had any just like, oh, my God? Um, I've had plenty of those, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Way too many that I, um, I care to remember, unfortunately. But, like, you know, sometimes you can just see a kitchen's, like, completely in the weeds and they just cannot get out of it for love nor money. Mm. But it's interesting because... It's then that I think the front of house team really needs to step up and that's when the front of house team needs to come over and be like, hey, guys, I'm so sorry about the wait. We've just got this going on, um, but we're going to try and, you know, get on top of this as quickly as possible. And a lot of the problem happens, I find when I'm dining out, is the front of house team doesn't step up with mm. with that. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's just uh, for so long... We haven't had enough staff. We haven't had enough trained staff in the industry mm. in front of house. We're hiring, you know, 15-year-old kids to run cafe, you know, to do the breakfast service at cafes because it's cheaper and our, our wages are so ridiculously high. So, you know, there's only so much you can train a 15-year-old kid to, to look for things. How do, how do you think that restaurants need to adapt to that? Because high wages are not going away. They're, you know, and that's the biggest difference when we do comparisons to, say, America, that, you know, when, uh, that their wages are so much cheaper so they can have better service and things. How do you think that as a restaurant, you know, they might cope with that? Obviously, there's the 
general values of, hey, we value communication, we want the best experience, we want to be honest with our what we're doing would be probably a way. But is there a way that they do need to adapt to that problem because it, it is a problem or is it that they've just taken a bit enough more than they can chew? So when you were, I'm asking you 10 things here at once, and but I'm sure you'll answer them all as well, but... Um, you know, like how long does a restaurant need to be up and running, particularly if it's a new one that you're, you're going? Do you sort of say, look, I'm going to give them a month to sort of get their stuff right, even though the customer's paying the same amount of money? You know, so multiple loaded questions there. Um, I think in response to your question about, you know, where do we go, how do we, um, you know, fix this problem, it is hard. It's really hard. If there was a simple solution, everybody would be doing it. Mm. Um, but I think a lot of it comes down to, providing a really, really great work culture mm. and training. So much, you know, the restaurants that nail it, they train their staff. Mm. They they set up almost mini schools before they even open a venue where they're training their staff for a month. They're drilling their staff with everything. Though, So the moment they open their doors, everything is perfect. Mm. And that's what I think... And then it's that constant reinforcement along the way. It's, you know, you do a dinner service and then you, you you know, at the end of the night go, what did we do? What did we do wrong? What could we do better? And I think a lot of those places, unfortunately, there's a lot of places that don't do that. Um, but if you nail that, you know, you can have average food and amazing service and you're going to go back. Yeah. And I think that's it. I think amazing service can really lift an overall experience because sometimes you go, do you know what? Like you get caught up in the fact that you had a great night. Yeah. You know, you had a great night. You were looked after. You felt warmed. You felt welcomed, you know. And I think that's really, really special. Um, do, you, do you think that um, do you think that people know this already? I feel like uh, as a, you know, the restaurant judge is coming in, so to speak, or, you know, as when I was a chef, if you know, if you had a feeling that that person might be the thing, it's almost like they're almost doing the opposite sometimes. It's like they're covering it up, and yes, your meal will be here, and rah rah. It's almost <laughs> like they're trying to dance almost instead of instead of being like, "Hey, you're going to be another five minutes, da da da." And here's a complimentary whatever to to soothe it, but just general like you would in your home, I guess. Yeah. And I guess that's what you're looking for. And my other question was going to be. What are you definitely looking for that they might not be expecting? But is that it? I think at the end of the day, like I don't ever go into a restaurant wanting a bad experience. Nobody wants that. I don't want to go in and waste calories on, you know, that's too many hours in the gym for me. I that's know. ridiculous. Those leg things. <laughs> I want to I go in and have a great experience. So I'm always, always looking and hopeful for that. And I think it just comes down to staff that, you know, even if – I've even had clueless stuff before, but if they do it in a really warm, sort of gentle, sort of bumbling way, but they're actually sweet about it, you can kind of forgive it in a way. Mm. You know, if they're trying really hard, then that's great. And the kitchen, you know, you want you want somebody that's like, if you want you want to see interesting food, you want to see something that's different. You want people to not be afraid to try something new from the chefs. I think that's exciting to go into a place and be like, you know what, I haven't had this before. Or if it's just um, a simple dish going, wow, that's an amazing radish. Like the other day I was eating at Agnes um, and we had these Fall Farm radishes and they were amazing. And I sat there and went, that's the best radish I've ever Mm. had. But Ben Williamson, the chef there, he looked at that radish and went, you know what, 
it's so bloody good that I don't need to do a lot to it. Mm. Like I, he just served it with sour cream and this mushroom sort of salt over the top and that was it. That's all you needed to do to it because it was so good on its own. And I think respecting the produce and also pushing the boundaries a little bit or thinking outside the box, that's exciting. I love the whole sort of vegetable type thing, like the little one box and the little, the little, not necessarily everything little, but I like cooking at home, like the whole half of Jap pumpkin roasted in the oven with garlic and then sour cream. And and I just love that celebration of the product as well. Is that more and more? Because Ben obviously does it with his uh, cabbage and a heap of stuff and Gerard's are sort of doing a lot of that as well. That That is it, isn't it? I know. I know there's a lot of great restaurants and a lot of great things, but it feels like the respect of the thing is is probably what is in or what you're looking for. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I think it is. I think it is a, a growing trend. Thankfully, you know, it's no longer out of the freezer packet into the fryer situation um, that we had, unfortunately, for for quite a lot of years. Um, and I think, you know, um, Zazata. I was there the other day in Fortitude Valley, and they've changed their entire menu to be vegetarian. Um, and they're respecting the produce. They're not, like, trying to add in, you know, vegan meat alternatives because they've gone vegetarian. They've gone, you know what, vegetables are delicious. Let's make them fantastic and show people how great they are. I don't think vegans or vegetarians want meat substitutes. Like, and I've, you know, I deal with that as well, but I think that they're for the people potentially like me who wants to eat less meat but love it. Yeah. <laughs> And I just want to have one little bit, you know, sometimes the calories in them are as bad, but it's really the only that, hey, I'm not killing an animal tonight. Um, you know, and I think if we probably all did one lesser, that might not be the end of the world. But if you love vegetables, you love vegetables. Exactly. And I think you're crazy. If, you're not, if, you, if you don't like vegetables, you probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast, really. But um, <laughs> like you have to be a nut. What's your favourite? What do you love eating at home? Tell me about the uh, stuff you cook at home. I love vegetables. Vegetables as well. And I actually like to eat a lot of vegetarian food. Um, I love Middle Eastern food is a big um, thing for me. It was Father's Day um, the other day and I cooked this massive feast for my family. Of it was only There was only four of us, but I made like seven dishes or something ridiculous because I just love experimenting in the kitchen. Um, so, and then like also because I'm eating so much butter and oil all the time and my arteries are just clogging, um, you know, millimetre by millimetre every day. Have you done so, the cholesterol <laughs> thing lately? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't good last time I did yeah, it. Yeah, what was it? Come on. That was, that was actually just, um, it was during the middle of delicious 100 and my doctor almost had a heart attack at my results so really? it wasn't great um, luckily I go to the gym a lot and I exercise a lot because otherwise I'd be in, in some disastrous territory I think but olive oil is good for you olive oil is good for you the butter, olive oil on top of each other and then high fat foods not the most amazing thing for your diet so when I am home cooking I try and cook a lot of clean sort of type food I hate that word but you know like a not so you're putting the olive oil on at the end rather than heating it up in a exactly, pan exactly exactly you know, yeah okay yeah uh, tell me about some of your um let's call them cheap eats or some delicious burger or something is there is there something that you just go you know what I'm gonna go and have one of them um, Ben's Burgers in the Valley is fantastic. They yeah. just do a cheeseburger and it's a classic, like yeah. super, super great. Um, also does a peanut butter chocolate um, milkshake to go with it and peanut butter and chocolate is my weakness. How many hours at the gym is that? Um, 
probably seven days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I reckon that, that that sounds like four thousand calories. Yeah, <laughs> that is just me nonstop sprinting. How do you do it? Because you what are you fifty kilo? Like seriously, like there's, there's, you're not. Like I said, I um, <laughs> I'm actually starting a personal training course at the moment. Oh really? So you know to try and counterbalance everything else. So um, it's pretty funny, but um, yeah, like I don't. It's funny, I I love a gyros as well. Who doesn't? Or a dirty kebab. There's something great about a dirty kebab. So Is it the cheap one that the meat looks like it's wood or something? You know, the ones that they slice off? I, I always go for the chicken because the other, whatever, gyrosy meat doesn't look like meat to me. <laughs> no, I'm definitely not about that. Oh, um, good. You're talking about a real chicken? I'm talking about, I, I don't do chicken, but I do like real lamb, chug, oh, like yeah, chug, yeah. real, that sort of thing. I, I, I don't like giving everyone plugs here, but ha- the lamb shop, it's Ridiculous. Have you been there yet? I think I the spoke about it. The lamb shop is fantastic. Yeah, They're yeah. very, very good. And then you get their big platter of everything and you just DIY it and it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, that is great. That's what you want. Yeah. What are your favourite places to go to? Oh, I think the lamb shop. Um, I love watching Simon Gloftus's personal Instagram. I think it's just, he's just a cooking lesson. <laughs> yeah. He is and he's so good at it and he's generous with his dill and his parsley and his lemon and, you know, it's it's obviously in his culture for a guy who had a kitchen in his um, carport or garage for his whole life, I think. You know, you got to learn how to cook. I, I, what do you think about kids? You know, I feel like we need to be doing more and more with kids. Like I've always wanted to make time and, you know, I think it's part of what, what I even want to do here through education, um, part of this reason we're doing the podcast and everything. But, you know, to educate more people how to eat things and how to enjoy produce and the importance of local and how, how do you think, what's that going on in the world these days? Are we, are we getting enough of that? I don't think we're getting enough of it. I think it, there can always be so much more. Um, some of the schools I know that have school gardens are fantastic mm. because, like you were saying earlier, about the chefs connecting with the produce when they're growing it themselves or they're going out to the farm where it comes from, you know, they treat it better. And it's the same with kids. They see that zucchini that's growing and they want to eat the zucchini, whereas maybe if your mum got it from Coles and shoved it on your plate, you'd be like, eh, I don't like zucchini. Mm. You know, so it's I think it's building that connection and if schools aren't doing it parents can do it you know it's so easy to grow veggies i've I've got i live in an apartment and i've got a veranda and i just you know a balcony and i just grow all this stuff on the balcony i don't yeah i think there needs to be more of that like training how to do that i think we've lost a little bit in our culture in that you know italian people probably know how to do more gardening than you know than others but in saying that i know people from milan who do not know how to cook or or grow but we assume that everyone in Italy knows how to cook and grow vegetables. So, But I don't think even you need to really know how to grow vegetables if you're doing it in a pot. Like, there's, mm. don't get me wrong, like, there's a lot of hard work that goes into a lot of mm. things. But, you know, like, I hardly ever remember to water my mint and it grows like a weed. The same with chives. I've got potatoes growing, tomatoes, um, you know, like pineapples growing in a pot on my balcony. Just two years and you so, got a pineapple. I know. How good's that? And you know what? It took me two years. I had one of my best mates made so much fun of me, like made so much fun of me. For, he goes, yeah, it's only taken you two years and you could have got 20, you know, thousand pineapples from the shops. And I was like, but I love this pineapple so much more and it tasted so great. Was it good? Two years of effort went into was it. Was it good? It was delicious. Really? Yeah. Didn't even need, didn't need anything on it, just ate a plane. It was well, we did a video fabulous. on that, hey, Nick, how oh. to grow the pineapple, yeah. Yeah. 
I haven't planted mine. The roots still <laughs> It's like in a paper cup on the veranda just sitting there. Well, I was going through it once and then my then I looked out the other day in my balcony and another little one had popped up and I was so happy. So <laughs> it's pineapple season right now, kids. Yeah, exactly. How important is that when you're judging at a restaurant or judging? Is that the right word when you're critiquing, critiquing a restaurant? Yeah. Um, um, that people are in season and how hard is that for you to keep up on that because there's a lot of products. There's fish and there's grains and there's fruit and vegetables obviously and there's lots of different things. How do you keep on top of Your that? podcast is an amazing... Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll actually I'll start sending you the newsletter actually because that does tell you what's in season. Yeah. That would be fabulous. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously um, I... I'm in constant um, contact with the markets here, the Brisbane markets, um, Brisbane produce markets, about what's in season. Mm. Um, and for me, it is a really crucial part of seeing a menu. Like I don't want to see asparagus on a menu that I know has been imported from mm. Peru or Mexico. Um, just don't have it. Like why do you need asparagus on the menu? Get another beautiful vegetable. Get broccolini. You know, that's in season when asparagus isn't. Mm, like why exactly. aren't you using that? You know, Asparagus so- is in season, kids, just for the record. Just started now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a really good example because it has a real season. Exactly. And uh, that's the same with mango. Um, same has with mango, a real season. stone fruit, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. When I see fruit. stone fruit on the menu in wintertime and I'm like, it's from America. Like, what are you doing? First of all, like the air miles to get it here. I'm very big in, into sustainability. Mm-hmm. So um, I think everybody should be watching that for sure. And also it's not going to taste as good if if it's being picked overseas and then shipped on a plane over here. Like how can you – everything tastes better like the moment it's picked. Mm. Yeah, true. I mean the, the, they, they, can, they can get a good product here but um, – it's definitely not our product and that's probably the main point. Is and, that, that, and we should be supporting Australian yeah, yeah. farmers. This is the biggest thing is that we should be supporting Australian farmers. I, I'm a big believer in eating in season purely because I think that when like kumquats are in season, you should be eating them like lollies because I think that's what your body is working with, you know, should be eating for the weather that's around. Yeah. yeah. So citrus is in season, ironically, in winter, high vitamin C, <laughs> who would have guessed, right? It's better for your health and it's better for your hip pocket as well because when you buy in season, everything's cheaper. And it's also better, um, yeah, that's what I was going to say. But I think a lot of people try and um, get to things first. And, um, you know, I remember being a victim of, you know, trying to get to the thing first because you want to be first on Instagram for whatever reason. But um, now I'm like, no, I'm going to wait till that is actually good and make sure that it's not about being first. It's about being right and eating this when it's right. And as the years have gone past, people trust us and believe us that that we've got their best interests at heart because you don't want the early season mangoes and you don't want the... The, the late ones either generally mm. uh, because they're around the edge of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so things have changed and that like watermelons available all year round now and where there was once a time where you'd see on the side of the road kids for the, who were listening who would never would have seen this where there would be the watermelon stall on the side of the road and it used to be even the farmer. Now it's some guy who's picked up some cheap watermelon from market and he's on the side of the road pretending to be a farmer. But, <laughs> you know, like, you know, it used to be the farmer and that's when things were delicious. And I think a lot of the reason that kids don't necessarily like fruit and vegetables sometimes is because they've had it at the wrong time of the year. I 100%. do think that there is a little bit more of it coming on because I had like a four-year-old tell me that rock melon should be starting in Queensland recently and I was like... How does he know that? That is definitely true. And why does he know that? 
That is really crazy. Uh, happens to be uh, my nephew. Um, yeah, maybe. maybe well, no, I don't know what to do with him. He just likes the big Suncoast truck. I really don't talk fruit and veg with him, but um, yeah, he probably also enjoys truffle. But anyway. Um, yeah, so uh, you don't have to name the restaurant, but, you know, what, 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 um, what other things blow your mind that were in a positive? We talked about some of the, the challenging things. Like, what, it, please don't mention any restaurants for me. Um, but um, you know, what's um, you know a couple of different examples of just gone in and gone. This particular cut was done differently, and it was done amazing. Can you? Um, can you pick a song? I know that was a very, very hard question. <laughs> but for me, or, or maybe let's let's ask that differently. What about, can you remember the first time you tried truffle or the first time you did any of these things like that might have blown your mind? One food experience that just went bang. A lot of people, it's bloody snow egg, okay? So, you know. <laughs> um, I have eaten at Key. I didn't eat the snow egg, though. Um, but I, I had food... to order four desserts. They're just a... The food was fantastic. Actually, Key was an absolute highlight eating yeah. there and you just see, and it was when they'd just relaunched after they'd done the refurb um, and they'd gone to that more relaxed sort of style of service, but the food was just imaginative, imaginative but heroed the produce, but just things that you'd bite into and you'd be like, where, how, where? Why? But, oh, my God, amazing. Like, you know, and mm. that's what you want to sit there. And you, like, food is so exciting on its own and it can be, like, I was I was telling you actually previously, like, I remember going to Simon Gloftus's Hellenica and having just the Greek salad. And it was during cucumber season, but we had this piece of cucumber and I was like, oh, my God. God, this cucumber is amazing. Mm. And, you know, sometimes it's the simplest things yeah. in life that are great. Yeah. You know, it's those radishes at Agnes. It's yeah. the cucumber. It's the, like, for me, I just love, you know, I can appreciate the the highly technical dishes and all the thought and imagination and creativity that goes into them. But I also love just you heroing something, something fantastic. And, um... Adam Wolvers at Gerard's, he, I went to a dinner with him and Josh Nyland um, that they did, a collaboration, and it was fabulous because all they did was they took two products and they heroed them, each of them, um, in five different ways or was it six different ways? It was different courses. So Adam did carrots and Josh did um, cobia and it was fantastic to see a carrot turned into everything from a schnitzel to a bread He to gave me the dessert. recipe for the boxes of the schnitzel. Oh, so good. Actually, it was parsnip schnitzel, actually. Oh. But carrot. Carrot, you can do the same thing? He was on the podcast as well, and oh, we talked about that carrot dish a lot. Yeah. So Josh has kind of come up with the podcast. Did he say yes? Talking to his people. Oh, Josh, you're on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, we do have so many amazing. I, I feel like now there's like so many choices now. You know, like there's just so many great places to eat in Brisbane, and I think it has changed a lot in five years. A hundred percent. It's cha- it's it's a complete 180 from what it was five years ago. Five years ago, but also ten years ago. Like I remember when 
I first started reviewing and like, you know, there was the coffee club or a pub, like almost. And that was kind of, there was, you know, your, your few high-end restaurants around town. And Did they call them like gastro that. pubs? That, what... <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That was it. <laughs> yeah. Whatever happened to Ryan Squires? He was getting some, he was doing some good food. But, yeah, he mm. was about, he's apparently launched his own, um, because oh, he was doing all these sauces and, and breads and things like mm. that. Apparently he's still doing those. Oh, good. Yeah. And he was a, I mean, that that was a great experience. And Ben Devlin, another amazing Ben, who's person. at Pippet now. He is amazing. Yeah. He's also coming on the podcast as well, definitely. I've asked him. But, uh, yeah, an amazing, amazing chef. We Like I said, we are so super, super lucky to be. Um, so what else do you do, Anuska? What, when I'm not reviewing restaurants? Yeah, you head out to Stanthorpe and stay at beautiful accommodation, I, I see on your Instagram. I'm actually going up to um, up to the Whitsundays next week. Nice. So um, exploring up there. So that should be lots of fun. So because I also do travel writing as well, you know, I have a terrible job writing about food and travel. My life is so hard. Please feel sorry for me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I'm going up there and staying at Qualia, Oh, um, let's get out. I know. Let's, don't let's hate wind me. this shit hate up right me. now. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So that'd be nice. But um, no, honestly, a lot of the time, I just I have a lot of fun just exercising, hanging out with my friends, kicking a football around the park. You know that sort of stuff. Going awesome. out to the beach and hanging out, and you know, just generally trying to live a healthier lifestyle to make up for all the the work related indulgences. Love the islands, love Queensland. Sorry, our Victorian friends. We look forward to welcoming you all back uh, to all them beautiful places soon. But, yes, there's some great deals. I'm going up in Oct- uh, October, I think. Um, what uh, Have you ever come up with some cool little hack or, re- or recipe yourself? I actually had a recipe for just um, these peanut butter white chocolate balls that Matt Preston published in one of his cookbooks. So... That was very nice of him. Um, but I I always, I know they say baking is a science and it is, but I like to break rules and I constantly like just tweak things all the time when I'm cooking. So, but I don't really have any hacks that I could pass on to people that I've really done. Really? Okay. Well, I was going to get you to run a recipe for the boxes. So, you know, you don't much have much. You know, I think what my little uh, thing was, which I used to, which I learned, I'm going to tell everyone this. When you're making your pizza, you put uh, pizza dough, you put a little bit of olive oil in there, that makes it crispy. Mm. That's my little thing, which I don't know where I learned. It's probably not a hack, it's probably a recipe. And the other one was just the parsley, garlic, salt, olive oil, fresh curly parsley, the old-fashioned parsley, chopped up really fine and then drizzled on the top of your pizza when it's finished. It freshens it up. The uh, olive oil's not. Yeah. I'll tell you what, that's, that's, that, try that at home, kids. That is um, delightful. Nick, what have you written here? How to order. What does that mean? I just want to know when, when you go to a restaurant, what should people do? All uh, right, like, okay. If I was to go there, how do you suggest I get the best out of a restaurant? Because what, what I do, because I know the chef nine out of ten, and they must hate this, is say, <laughs> hey, bro, just cook us whatever. I love this. I'm not a big fan of this, and I've had too much beef, so something else. What do you do? You have to just order like a customer, don't you? I do try and order like a customer so I get the best experience, but I also am always asking the wait staff, what do you like best? Hmm. 
what do you, what would you recommend? What would you eat? Mm, yeah, that's me too, yeah. And, you know, and because they're the dishes, because you can tell with a waiter straight away. The other day I had this lovely waitress and she was so funny because she, she was trying to be diplomatic with some of the dishes, but you could see it all over her face that she's like, definitely do not order that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that's the thing. So you say to her, what would you like? What would you recommend? You, you know? get the local knowledge. You, you get the knowledge. And, I mean, sometimes if they've got too much of something, they're obviously going to try. That's scary. That. That's as a chef I'd be done. First of do we like it? We really need to move some of that land before yeah. it goes off. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, you obviously have to look at that as well. But then um, you're like, and then I also I hate it when they say this is the most popular dish. I'm like, don't tell me what's popular, what's good. Mm. Because... You know, salt and pepper calamari is popular. I'm not going to order that at a at a restaurant. You know. Yeah. Okay. Um, what other tips have you got for restaurants? What What should they be looking out for when there's people like you swanning around? You know, criti- crit- critiquing them. Please don't spit my food. Um, uh, that would be great. Oh yeah, yeah. That would be- <laughs> Any people hate you? Any people? I'm sure there's probably heaps of people out there that do. Yeah. They've got like you know my face on their wall in their kitchen. They throw knives at it. I don't know. So when you've given um, a bad review, how long is it till you get to go back again and and give them another opportunity? Is that something that you probably should do, or is it do you have to? How how many times have you gone? I have to write the truth because that's what you have to do. But, well, generally, like when. You go to some a place and it's a bit of a train wreck. You go back and make sure that they weren't having just a terrible day. I mean, mm. everybody has a terrible mm. day mm. sometimes. Um, so you go back and you make sure that it, that you know it wasn't just that train wreck day. Um, but yeah, in in terms of them striving for redemption, um, I generally try and give them at least six months. Okay, that's a decent amount of time. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, we want to we want to keep things fresh for our readers as well. We don't want to keep going back to the same places even. And, I mean, also it could be the difference between them having no clue who I am when I walk in the first time and that's why I get a shit experience because <laughs> I get treated like everybody else and then, you know, the next time they've researched me, they've got my face from Google up on the wall and then they're like, oh, my God, okay, we need to look after this person. But everyone knows that's not actually your face, do they? That's a fake face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, that's the Photoshopped face. Yeah, yeah, good. Okay. Yeah. I have human photoshopping everywhere I walk, just a filter that just takes over my face. I know we tried to it. take a photo of you before for the podcast, and it came out all and pixelated. Just comes out what? pixelated, it's what crazy. You got a great filter, a <laughs> <of> natural. <laughs> uh, what else can we talk about? It's been a real pleasure having you on the show, but I, I, I feel like we're ending too early. What have we got else to say, Nick? Anything? Who you? Oh, me. <laughs> I was like, who's a Nick? Yeah, yeah we like, do sure, about you, Nick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What well, yeah, what do you look for in uh, delicious meat? Well, actually, I've been quite lucky that I think it's for the last four years now I've um, judged the meat, the beef competition at the Echo. Oh, so the with Royal Laurie. Yeah, yeah, so with Laurie every year, which is great. Do you go to the same gym as Laurie? <laughs> I haven't seen him around there, yeah, actually. I think yeah. Well, he told me that he thought he just had to join. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's it's fantastic doing that. So you get to try everything, um, you know, the best steaks from all over Australia, really. Um, so that's fabulous. I I'm personally partial to some lamb. I love lamb. It's fantastic. But when I when I look for meat, I really want to make sure it's come from a good home. 
Um, you know, it was it was raised well, it was looked after well. That's particularly the case with pork. Um, mm. I love it when you know you when a menu tells me what farm it's from, so I so I know if it's had a good life or not. I think that's really important, mm. and I think chefs. Um, and gradually moving towards that as well, they realise how important it is. I, I think the stamp of approval should be called one bad day. Yeah. Because if animals had one bad day, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I can't, you know, you, you pay $10 more for that, you know, every time. Like it's, um, it is something that is desperately important and I can't, you know, say enough about that as well. I'm super passionate about that. Like honestly... Bad treatment of animals is just... It's not on. Not on. That's yeah, it, yeah. Exactly. And and that's my thing. I'm like, eat less of it and just eat better quality. Mm. You don't need a 600-gram steak. Nobody needs that much steak. Like... What? Not in one sitting. Even though I tell you I did when I was in South America years ago um, win a bet because nobody bet that I could eat a 600-gram steak and I did it in a record time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. I bet you went to the bathroom after I was feeling so sick around South America anyway that it probably didn't do anything. (laughs) Are you telling me about that? What about other overseas experiences? Anything else there? South um, America, where is it? Cusco? So, yeah, so. Loads of good restaurants there. Yeah, so um, I've eaten. Uh, I didn't actually get to eat um, in the Michelin star restaurants there because I was going over by myself and I didn't know who. I was meeting some people over there, but I didn't know whether they'd want to do it or not. Um, but yeah, you get to eat amazing experiences. Because I got the whole them. Amazon. Right, they do, and there is. A, I, I ate at quite a few um, purely because I went on a food tour there, and that took me to a heap. Um, but yeah, loads of Amazonian type products, and I was just fortunate enough to have been to the Amazon, so it was even more amazing. Absolutely. And being a tropical fruit nut, I, you know, had even more fun. What did you have? What did you like best? Um, I have no idea, but um, I can't remember what it was, but there was just a variance of in-season tropical stuff mm. that they'd made into these delightful little things that might have been a take on a Mexican-type thing that it was in a salsa or it was in that just made that particular thing even better than the original, Yeah, um, which was hard to believe, and just amazing little drinks and little shots of mm. flavour uh, yeah. that was in between courses that might have been a palate-type cleanser-type stuff. Uh, but I just think the newness of it all and the applications that they were starting to do with things, I feel like it was where it was might be getting born for the rest of the world that we can implement into, you know, we've got loads of tropical stuff here, but, you know, uh, it might end up coming through like the old custard apple might become, you know, something that's cool. I really wish that stuff like that was more and more used. I don't think we use enough of that. In Queensland, we have such an amazing array of tropical stuff, but we definitely now, now Peter's becoming more you know, prominent, prominent. Yep. and farms around him. He'll be the first to encourage every one of his local, you know, type farmers. And that festival that happens in Cairns, what's it called? It happens in March. No, it's further down. Taste of Port Douglas? No, no, no. No? Senses. Um, senses. Uh, yeah, a Feast of the Senses. Oh, yeah. Yep. Now, I, they, it didn't happen this year, but there's a, actually, if he ever comes back, my friend in America, Stephen Murray, uh, he is like the one of the world's most tropical fruit experts. Mm. It speaks 
three or four different languages. Biggest guy you've ever met, vegetarian. Um, you'll have to meet him. He's also coming on the podcast, kids, so watch out for that one. That's amazing. But anyway, so I was sort of getting around that over in America, uh, South America, amazing food. Did you eat guinea pig? I did eat guinea pig. The yeah. first time was fabulous. The second time I was so sick. Yeah. So, so very sick. It was deep fried and I think uh, I got the dodgy one because me and my uh, one of my girlfriends, we shared it and spent the next three days vomiting. It was amazing. Great. So. <laughs> I had a few other things. I had that at Machu Picchu. I was sick. It's the day I got to Machu Picchu. Anyway. Um, it's not a good time. What other animals have you eaten that you wish you didn't? Um, there's nothing I wish I haven't eaten, um, but I've probably eaten quite a fair bit. I've eaten, like, you know, all our native Australian animals, emus, wallabies, kangaroos, turtle, obviously frogs. Um, I'm sure there's a whole heap of quirky Magpie things. geese, obviously. <laughs> I haven't eaten the old magpie. You haven't? They had no. that at Noma. That was on Noma's menu. No, I didn't eat magpie. Oh, you didn't? No, no, not magpie. Magpie goo. goo. Oh, sorry. I thought you were right. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, no, no, the magpie goo. We're the, talking about the native to animals. northern uh, Australia. It's yeah, 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 yeah. Thing. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I struggle with magpie anyway. <laughs> Ibis can't stand it anymore. <laughs> they're just hard uh, to get when they're attacking you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's been a really fun catch up. Uh, where can people find you? Tell us about your stuff that's in the paper every week. Um, yeah, so Korean Mail, I'm in there every week. I have a column on a Wednesday. Wednesday where I talk about food news, what's coming up, what's opening. So if anybody has any restaurants out there that they're about to open, they'd like to get the word out on the street, hit me up. Um, and, and they can hit you up? Uh, via, um, I mean, by email, it's in the paper every week or Perfect. Instagram, whatever works for them, yep. whatever's easiest. Yep. Um, Google my name and I'm the only one in the world, so it's pretty easy to find me. But the photo is not No, you. exactly. Right, good. Um, okay. Well, it has been a pleasure, as I said. So thank you for being a part of our little broadcast. And, um, yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. Awesome.